Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what it's like to actually work in marketing at a variety of levels and at a variety of companies in a variety of different industries, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest was vice president of marketing at two different companies, and she worked at Google as well as Microsoft. She was also promoted, get this, 10 times in just 15 years and now coaches other Fortune 500 leaders to make quantum leaps in their careers and earn high six figures. But before I introduce you to Maya Grossman, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that features career advice and insights into dozens of different jobs and industries from the professionals like Maya who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Maya Grossman, the founder of Maya Grossman Coaching and a self-described career success coach who now teaches other ambitious professionals how they can make quantum leaps in their careers and earn high six figures without working harder. Over the course of her career, Maya was promoted 10 times in 15 years and worked as the vice president of marketing at two different tech companies. She also worked at Microsoft and Google, where she helped to lead product marketing. She was named a top LinkedIn influencer in 2022, and she is the best-selling author of a terrific book that I have devoured, absolutely devoured. In fact, there are so many sections that are underlined and little marks, notes that I made to myself so that I can also share Maya's wisdom with the students that I coach. The book is entitled Invaluable. Master the 10 skills you need to skyrocket your career. And skyrocket is exactly what Maya has done over the course of her professional life. Maya, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still caffeinated and ready to go? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. It is my pleasure. What do you guys drink in the Grossman household? What kind of coffee? Oh, well, definitely an espresso. We have a nice machine here at home. We are both coffee lovers. Fantastic. And how many espresso shots have you had so far today? Just one today. It's still early for me. Okay, fabulous. Well, Maya, I want you to know, I want our listeners to know that I have so been looking forward to this conversation because I have become a huge fan of your daily posts on LinkedIn. And I so admire the really smart way, the strategic way that you have curated your career. And I use that word deliberately. I have no doubt, absolutely no doubt that our young listeners are going to gain so much from listening to your story. And I would like to begin our caffeinated chat by flashing back to 2009, when you were 28 years old, you had just graduated from the College of Management and Academic Studies in Israel, 
which I believe is one of the largest private colleges in Israel. It's just south of Tel Aviv. And you graduated with a BA in business studies management with a focus on finance and marketing. But you had actually been in the working world long before that. And you'd also served in the Israeli army, which is compulsory for all teenagers in Israel, in case you don't know that. When and what was your first job? And do you remember how you got it, Maya? Yeah, of course. Oh, my gosh. So after I was discharged from the army, I took some time off to travel. And when I came back, I really had to make a decision. At that time, my family could not afford to pay for college. So I had to do it myself, which meant I had to get a job. So I started looking around, asking people, asking some of my friends. And one of the parents of a good friend of mine said, hey, you know what? We probably have something opening up at our company. It was a travel agency. And he said, look, I've known you for the majority of your life. I know you're extremely responsible. Why don't you come in and we'll see what we can do? And that's how I got my first job. And I was actually a customer support representative at a travel agency. I would essentially pick up the phone and listen to people telling me they missed their flight, they they lost their luggage, and I would have to solve a lot of very difficult problems for them. In your book, you talk about some of this experience working at the travel agency. And you shared that you actually weren't too excited about it at the beginning. Because you didn't know anything about the travel industry, but you became inspired by the founders. And we often hear job seekers say, Maya, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about X, Y, or Z, but many students, in fact, most college students haven't yet identified a professional passion. You have some suggestions for how students and even older adults can cultivate a passion for the company where they land. What are those suggestions? Yeah, I think very often we have this really romantic idea of everything is going to be perfect. I'm going to love it from day one. It's going to be exciting every single day. I'm afraid that is not what reality looks like. And even when you do have a job that you love, some days are not going to be great. So I think you really need to learn how to find the things that get you excited. So I'll give you an example of what you can do. If you joined a company and maybe the industry is not the thing that you are extremely excited about, look for people who can excite you. Look for, for me, it was the founders. Maybe for you, it's going to be some of the executives who have been there for a while have a conversation with them to learn why they care so much, why they find it interesting. You might actually get inspired by their passion. So that's one thing that you can do. Also, you can go and educate yourself because it's very likely that you don't know much about this industry. You just stepped into it. Go and do the work to learn what is interesting, what is exciting. Is there anything going on right now that might actually allow this industry to thrive and grow? Is there anything at all that you can find interesting? And then also become the leader inside of your company. Be the person who talks about that specific aspect. So I think if you can do one of those two, it's going to allow you to have a little bit more interest and passion in your work. And if worse comes to worse and you can't find anything exciting at all, think about your career. Right. So think about this job as a stepping stone to the next level. So use that as motivation to do the best work that you can so that you're going to be prepared for the thing that you really want in six months or a year from now. And this is one of the many things that Maya is a maestro at orchestrating. And later in this interview, I'm going to ask her about how you can create a plan, a strategy to skyrocket your own career, even those of you who are still in college. So Maya, I want to read something that you wrote in your LinkedIn about section. It took place in 2009 and you write, and this is how you began to skyrocket your professional success. 
You wrote, after seven years of working for the same company, we know which company that was, and making little progress, I felt stuck and I couldn't take it anymore. So I decided to make a big pivot and restart my career. I decided to leave a successful global company with 400 employees. This was the travel company to go to work for a startup with five people and no office. My family and friends thought I was making a big mistake. But it wasn't a mistake, was it, Maya? No, (laughs) it was it was carefully planned. So um, to add a little bit more context. I graduated. And as you mentioned before, I majored in finance and marketing. I hated finance, but I fell in love with marketing. And I started asking myself, okay, how can I make this my career? I was working for a travel agency. They did not have a marketing department. I had no one around me doing marketing. So I had no idea how to step into that world. But the pain of doing something I didn't enjoy was a little bit bigger than the fear of, I have no idea how to get there. So I started coming up with ideas. And one of them was reaching out to my manager and saying, Hey, I know we don't have a marketing department, but I just learned about this new thing called social media. This is how old I am. And I think it can actually help the company. I think I can bring more customers to the travel agency. I'm going to do it in my spare time. I want to open a Facebook page, a Twitter account. I'm going to create the content because I want the experience, but I also think it will help the company. And at that point, I have been there for about six years. So they really trusted me and they said, not a problem. Go for it. Do whatever you need. So for six months, I built content for social media. I learned how to use all the different platforms and I gained real experience. And at that point, I was ready to actually apply for a marketing role. And that's how I made the pivot moving from the travel industry into marketing by creating experience with my current role so that I can get the next one. And get this, Maya's next role was executive director of PR and communications at a company called Blonde 2.0. And Maya found that role on Twitter because she was following a few influencers on the platform, which is, again, some of the advice that she has for you to follow influencers in the industry that lights you up or that you're curious about. And one of the influencers Maya followed was the founder of a social media agency called Blonde 2.0. And you talk about landing this job in your book, Maya. And I would love for you to share what you did to prepare for this interview. Yeah, well, apart from spending six months doing hands-on work and creating my own experience, I also devoured everything that came out about social media. It was so new and so exciting. So I probably spent, I don't know, 50, maybe 70 hours reading about marketing, about social media, and about the startup industry, because that was where I wanted to go. So when I went to that interview, first and foremost, they tweeted that they were hiring. And about seven minutes later, I sent them my resume. I was that excited. And they did call me for an interview. And I remember sitting down at the office feeling so intimidated with all of those like super high-end marketing people. They were also experts at what they do. And it was just little me who only spent six months doing this kind of work. But I was so passionate about it and I was so knowledgeable. So when we had the conversation, I couldn't necessarily say, hey, here's an example of what I did. But I knew the right people in the industry. I knew all the new trends. I knew the names of all the tools. I knew how to use them. So when conversation happened, I I had an answer for almost everything that I was asked. And I could come up with ideas on the spot. And I remember I got the job. I was extremely excited. There was one more part in the middle where they asked me to do real work. So I had to do like a case study. And I probably spent an entire weekend doing it, reworking it, reworking it, making sure that it's good. And then I got the call that I got the job and I was extremely excited. And I remember a couple of weeks later having a conversation with the CEO and I asked, Hey, I have to know. Why did you hire me? Because I know you interviewed people who who have been in this industry for longer. I remember they interviewed this really cool influencer. And he said, look, 
it was very clear one that you were passionate and that you care about this so you would do anything to solve a problem and to do the work well and i also saw what you did on your own for 6 months just to get to this place so i knew that you would do the same for me and that's why i decided to hire you what maya didn't mention is that in addition in preparation for the interview she read every tweet and every blog post that the hiring manager wrote. She learned what they cared about the most, and she researched the company's target audience that were tech startups. Here's the big takeaway, and Maya wrote this. Despite the fact I had almost no relevant experience by the time I got to the interview, I knew more about social media and the startup ecosystem than anyone else, at least that's what she thought. And I also want you to share, Maya, how you were at this stage already learning to become the CEO of your own career, how you adopted an owner's mentality by troubleshooting and problem solving in your new role as if you were the owner. Actually, you'd been doing that at the travel agency as well, as if you were the owner, the CEO of Blonde 2.0, even though it wasn't technically in the scope of your work. Yeah, of course. Oh my gosh. So I finally got the job. I was so excited and I was one of five other account managers. So we each had a couple of clients that we managed and the agency was growing really quickly. The CEO was spending all of their time bringing in more customers. And as a result, we weren't scaling fast enough, right? So things started to fall between the cracks. We didn't really have consistency. Some clients were complaining. And it really bugged me because I love this company. I worked so hard to get there. I wanted to make sure that I still had a job and I wanted to make sure that I have opportunities to grow and support the company. So after a couple of weeks of going back and forth, like this is not my job, I shouldn't really tell people what to do. I had a Jerry Maguire moment and I decided to put together a plan. And when I say a plan, I just mean a Word document with like five bullet points. And I actually recently looked at it because I still have it literally five bullet points, but I thought it was a major plan. And I basically wrote down all the things that I think we should do to have a little bit more consistency, to scale faster, to have a better infrastructure to serve our clients. And uh, I set a meeting with the CEO and I said, Hey, I know you're busy with sales. You're not seeing what's happening on the ground. Here's what I'm seeing. I think it's a problem. We need to fix it. And I will never forget. He looked at me with a smile. I just told him we have a massive problem. And he looked at me with a smile and he said, you know what? You're absolutely right. You are the new supervisor. Go fix it. And that's how I became a manager overnight. One day I was an employee like everyone else. The next day I had a team of four people reporting to me. Incredible. And this is a mindset that Maya has taken with her into every role she's had. So from Blonde 2.0, She moved to a company you may have heard of called SodaStream, where she worked for almost two years. And her new title, by the way, titles are all made up, but it's SodaStream, it's called Head of Digital Marketing. What were your responsibilities in that role, Maya? Yeah, so I joined the headquarters of SodaStream and our job was to create the strategy for the brand, right? How SodaStream is going to be perceived, how we're going to describe the product, how we're going to sell it. And my part in that was the digital aspect. So everything that happens online. Up until that time, SodaStream was only sold in stores and we wanted to start selling online and have a bit more of a presence. So from building the website to all of the social media to running ads, anything that happened online was my responsibility. And I was the one building the strategy and the guidelines and then working with different uh, representatives around the world to make sure that they implemented the way that we intended them to. I seem to remember a story that you share in your book Was it around a Super Bowl ad? Yeah, yes. Okay, so... How did you... I I just want to set it up for a moment. How did you turn what was, I guess, could have been seen as a huge fail into a huge win for SodaStream? 
Yeah, well, it was definitely a team effort, but here's what happened. We created a Super Bowl ad. And if you're not familiar, it takes a lot of time. You need to make a really big investment, not just to pay them in order to have the ad, but actually to create it. So we're talking millions of dollars. We had a Scarlett Johansson star in our Super Bowl ad. So a lot was counting on it. And then you have to submit the ads for approval before they go live. We do that. And then we hear back that our ad was actually suspended because we did something that we shouldn't have done. We said something that we shouldn't have said, whatever that was. You called out your competitors. Yeah. You called yeah. out we, Pepsi and Coke or something like that. We created a version <laughs> that said, sorry, Coke and Pepsi, which you're not allowed to do. And we were hoping we can get away with it, but we couldn't. So what happened was we had a meeting, everyone in marketing, you know, middle of the night, what are we going to do? And we made the decision. We're just going to share the ad as is on social media, right? If, if Pepsi, if um, Super Bowl does not want to accept it, we'll edit it. We'll do what we're supposed to do. But we're going to share the original externally. And we shared it a week before Super Bowl. So it went viral because we literally told people, here is the ad that the Super Bowl actually disqualified. See what's going on inside. And it ended up hitting about 15 million views before the Super Bowl actually happened. So we got all the exposure we wanted. We still got our ad into Super Bowl. And we basically made lemonade out of lemons. Fantastic. Maya, what does it mean to be head of digital marketing, which is what your title was at SodaStream, and head of global product marketing, which is what you did in your subsequent role at Microsoft? Yeah, so to your point, titles don't always say a lot, but um, at SodaStream, head of digital marketing meant I was the last person to say yes or no. Every decision about digital came to me. And as I mentioned, I was responsible for the strategy that then was implemented around the world. At Microsoft, Microsoft is a huge company and it has different teams and different departments and business units. So I was part of a business unit called Microsoft for Startups because as you remember, I love the startup world and I wanted to do something that will still keep me in that industry, in that area. And within that team, and we had a team around the world of probably about 60 or 70 people, I was the one heading product marketing for everything that we've created to all of our services and products. So this is why the head of title is there to demonstrate that I'm the final authority. I get to make the decisions. So could you give us an example of a startup that I guess was part of the Microsoft ecosystem that you worked with? and how you help them. Yeah, so I actually work with a few of them because I like to create aspects of my work that I enjoy. It wasn't part of my job description, but I asked myself, what do I want to do? How will I learn more and spend my time wisely while still helping the company? So I created a role where I was a startup consultant. Because if there's one thing that a lot of startups struggle with is marketing. They have no idea. Sometimes they know how to build a product. They're very technical. But when it comes to marketing, not so much. So I just created uh, an opportunity for those startups to come to me and for us to work together on marketing. So I helped them understand who their target customers were. I helped them build a website and have the right messaging and tell an incredible story that people really resonated with. Fantastic. So yes, after Maya had been working at Microsoft for a couple of years, and after she was working with all these different startups, and of course, Blonde 2.0 was a startup, she caught the entrepreneurial bug. And she realized that if she wanted to get more into working, let's say, for a bigger startup with a lot of seed money, she was going to need a different type of marketing experience. Remember that list that we read at the beginning? There are all these different types of marketing you can do. So she side hustled yep. <laughs> her own experience while she was still working at Microsoft by volunteering, offering office hours where she would help these startup founders develop their value proposition, create a marketing strategy, and then hire their first marketers. You use that side hustle mentoring, Maya, to sell yourself 
to, is it pronounced Kolu? Yeah, Kolu. Where she got her first VP role. And it was while she was at Kolu that she also founded Maya Grossman Coaching. So her current, not just side hustle, but her current main hustle was (laughs) born. (laughs) And now I'm going to fast forward from Kolu Maya because you worked in what I think was more of a consulting role at Google. This was as part of Maya Grossman Consulting, where you worked for a little over a year as a strategic advisor in product marketing. And then she moved to a company called Canvas as VP of marketing. In our remaining time, Maya, I would love for us to dig into a few chapters in Invaluable, beginning with chapter nine. Because I think the way that Maya got from Blonde 2.0 to SodaStream to Microsoft to Kolu and then to Canvas and building her consultancy on the side is all part of really what is encapsulated in chapter nine, becoming a planner. Because getting 10 promotions in 15 years, as Maya did, wasn't just about hard work. She had a plan. She had a career roadmap. Maya, could you please sketch out for our listeners what a career roadmap looks like and what it might look like even for a new grad who isn't yet sure what their professional passion is? Yeah, I love that. So everything in my life is planned. Everything worth having has an Excel spreadsheet. And I like to tell this as a joke, but it is actually true. When my husband and I started dating, we would put our dates on the calendar. So this is how I knew it was true love. We're very organized people. We need everything to be mapped out. And I did the same with my career. So when I made that transition from the travel agency into marketing, I realized something. I realized I have the power. I don't need to wait for anyone else. I don't need to rely on an employer. I don't have to wait for my turn. I have the power to create the path that I want. It might take time. It might require effort, but I can do it. And a couple of years later, I had this dream and everyone who heard it thought I was crazy because I said, I'm going to be the CMO of a Silicon Valley startup. And at the time, I was living on a different continent. I wasn't even an executive and I wasn't actually working in the startup world, but I had a North Star. I had a goal that I wanted to achieve. And then I reversed engineered. What would it take to get there? I looked at other people who had the job that I wanted to have. And I looked at their path and I asked myself, what would I need to do to get there? What type of experience will I need to actually acquire? What skills? And then I asked myself, what kind of roles should I take in order to slowly get in that direction? And then every time I had to make a decision, I used that goal as my North Star. So for example, when I made the decision to leave Microsoft, once again, my family thought that I was losing it because, I mean, it's one of the best companies in the world. They pay well. I had a great team and a great manager. It's not like, you know, I I hated my job. I loved it. However, I was starting to move up internally, but I realized that in order to get to the level of seniority that I was looking for, it might take seven, maybe 10 years to get there inside of Microsoft. And the chances of me going all the way to the top were slim, just because there are so many other people that are looking for that role. But I knew that if I moved to a smaller company, I would be able to move faster and actually get to my dream role within a year or two, not seven or 10 years. And that's why I made the decision and the pivot. So when you have that North Star and you can reverse engineer what it takes, you basically have a step-by-step plan. You know what you need to do. You just need to make different choices to actually get there. I just want to highlight a very big difference between the way Maya has skillfully and methodically engineered, in her words, reverse engineered, her career trajectory and the way that I have. I liken myself, Maya, 
to a surfer <laughs> who's out there catching the waves as they come. I've never had a plan. I thought I was going to be a journalist my entire life. I was a journalist for 20 years. And then in my early 40s, I was fired by CNN. And I decided because I had a small child, I didn't want to stay in journalism. And I use my transferable skills to move into public relations. I then moved into the nonprofit world. I then moved into advocacy within the nonprofit world. And then I quit everything to be a full-time mom. I never had a plan. If you had asked me 10 years ago, do you see yourself being a career coach for college students and an ed tech entrepreneur? I would have said, what is an ed tech entrepreneur? Maya is more like a technical rock climber who is looking methodically for those new finger holds as she moves her way to the summit. How, Maya, when a college student is at the bottom of that mountain and they don't know yet what the summit looks like, how can they start to create? a career roadmap? How can they start to put things on that spreadsheet? Yeah, that's actually a question that I get a lot. And I'm going back to something we said before. It's not like you only have one passion and you need to discover it. It's actually the other way around. You fall into something and you develop the passion and the love. So I think if you can just look around and see what makes you feel curious. And one exercise I usually tell people to do is this. Go online and search for marketing jobs and see what comes up and start reading the descriptions. Read about product marketing, read about demand gen, read about operations, anything you can find and wait for something to get you excited. Wait for one job description to make you go, hmm, that might be cool. And then go and find people who have the job you want to have and talk to them. And I'm not saying go talk to VPs, talk to someone who is just one step ahead of you and ask them, what do you actually do every day? What does it look like? And it's going to give you just a little bit more of an insight to what that role might be. And then you're going to have to take a leap of faith. You're not going to figure out if this is the one thing, right? By having one conversation, you're not going to figure out if this is what you're meant to do just by reading or talking. You just have to do it. And maybe you have more conversations. You can have more conversations with more people. But even with 20 conversations, at the end of the day, your experience is going to be different than someone else's. So you just have to do it. The best way to learn is to actually do it. So I'm just saying, instead of randomly picking the first opportunity, do a little bit of investigation, right? Find something that gets you a little bit more excited and dive into that. And if that works, amazing. Start thinking about how to grow within that industry. If that's not your thing, not a problem. Do it all over again. Look for other roles that will get you excited. Talk to people who have the job you want to have and try something new. Even though I had a plan, I also pursued opportunities as they came along. I also followed my own intuition and my own passion. When I moved from social media into digital marketing, I thought it was going to be the most incredible thing ever. And six months into the role, I realized I don't like it. I need to spend half of my time in front of a spreadsheet. And it just wasn't my passion. So even though from a growth perspective, it was a really good stepping stone for me, it wasn't where I wanted to stay. So I spent my time there learning everything that I could, but also preparing for the next level, which was product marketing, which is where I really found my passion. Oh, I love that. That is such fantastic advice. Maya, in chapter three, and I'm picking these chapters because I think they could be very useful to our listeners, but truly the whole book is a goldmine. In chapter three, it's entitled Focus on Making an Impact. Because I think it's very easy for a recent grad, a new grad who's in their first job, Maya, to feel like they're crushing it because they're showing up a few minutes before nine and are pushing papers around or researching or writing or whatever it is their job description has them doing. And then they're leaving at like 5.05 or 5.10 or 5.15. And after a year on the job, feel like, hey, you know, I deserve a promotion. I deserve a pay raise because I did 
what my job requires me to do. But it's not quite that simple, is it? Excelling at work requires being strategic. And I'm going to use language that students understand doing extra credit. (laughs) I love that. Um, I would say it's a combination of two things. So working hard is important, but you need to work hard on the right things. So just doing more of the same will not get you promoted. Now, I think people have a bit of a misconception about what a promotion is. A promotion is not a reward for doing your job well. When you do your job well, you get to keep your job. If you actually want to get promoted, that means the company needs to have a vote of confidence that you can do next level work, that you can solve bigger problems, that you can add more value. And the only way to demonstrate that is to go outside of your job description, to show them a little bit, hey, I can do a little bit more. I can stretch myself. I can do this thing that my manager knows how to do. And I think when people just keep their head down and work really hard, they forget to demonstrate those little opportunities of, hey, I can actually do more. So I would say it's not just about the hours you put in, it's what you focus on. And the way to actually move up quickly and grow your career is to focus on outcomes and not inputs, uh, not outputs. And let me explain the difference. An output is the amount of something that you've produced. So the amount of hours you worked, the amount of emails you wrote, the amount of blog posts that you created as a marketer. An outcome is the impact you had on the business. It's what, what actually happened when you did all those things. So for example, if you worked eight hours, what actually happened in those eight hours? Did you just look around at your computer or did you actually have an impact? If you created 10 blog posts, did people actually read them? Did they drive traffic to your website? Did someone actually buy? There's a huge difference. Outputs can have zero impact on the business, which means that's not important work. Outcomes is how you move the needle. That's how you make an impact. That's how you actually move the needle for the company and demonstrate, hey, I'm a really valuable contributor. It is going to be worth your while to keep me in this company and to reward me for what I'm capable of doing. I think it's intimidating, especially for a new grad to try to wrap their brain around how they can quantify the impact that they're having. But it really isn't up to them to figure that piece out, Maya, right? Can't they get that guidance or that those numbers or at least how to find those numbers from their manager. That would be ideal, but unfortunately, it doesn't happen very often. A lot of the people who level up into leadership don't really get the training that they should get. They don't know how to do some of these things themselves, which is why I wrote the book, right? I wanted to give people the tools to figure out how to do it on their own. But I want to give you and your listeners a really quick example that will explain how they can do it. It's not that complicated and you don't need to create a million dollars for the company. It's more about small wins. So I'll give you an example. I hired someone to help me write content for the company's blog. And I gave them a mission. I need you to create five blog posts every month. Now, someone who is a good employee will create five blog posts, period. They're going to put them on the website. They're going to move to the next month, create another five, create another five. Someone who is exceptional, someone who deserves a promotion, someone I would see as more strategic is someone that will create those five. They will post them on the website and then they'll promote them and they'll check what works. What do people resonate with? What is actually moving the needle? And then they're going to create more of that. They're not going to stay stuck on a hamster wheel of just check boxes, create content, create content, create content. They're going to invest their time in creating content that actually moves the needle. That's the difference. That's it. Just being more observant of, is my work actually doing something? Is there an impact? And if the answer is no, then find a different topic, create a different type of content that might actually do the work. When I started posting on LinkedIn, My content did not resonate. It wasn't great, but I didn't keep doing more of the same. I switched it up. 
I tried something different. I asked people, hey, what did you like about this one post that, you know, people actually commented on? I got that feedback and I improved the content. And that way I spent my time on the right things. You also talk about creating a prioritization matrix. What does that look like, Maya? Yeah, we all have a lot of things on our to-do list and it can be endless, but not all tasks are created equal, right? Some tasks are going to be more important. They're going to move the needle. They're going to have more of an impact. Some of them are more maintenance, admin, something that you think you need to do. Now, we're going to be tempted to start with those because usually they're really easy, right? You can get them done very quickly. You know what to do. However, it is better to spend your time on the things that move the needle, that have an impact, that actually matter to your manager. Because if you impress your manager and if you do things that make them look good, that's how you're going to get promoted. That's how you're going to get noticed. That's how you're going to become an invaluable employee. So what I encourage people to do is to look at everything that they have on their to-do and identify where they can actually have more impact and focus on those tasks first. And sometimes you can even eliminate some of the work because it's just not going to be meaningful for anyone, not for you and not for your manager. That is a perfect segue into the final chapter that I'd like us to focus on which is master the art of managing up and across. Because new grads usually know very little about what this looks like. And as Maya already noted, your manager, maybe your managers may not even know how to manage. So you're going to have to learn how to manage them. There's no guarantee that you're going to get a good manager from whom to learn how to do it well. So how can our new grads learn and master the art of managing up and across Maya? Yeah, managing up is probably one of the most important things you can do because at the end of the day, your manager is the most important stakeholder that's going to impact your career. They can actually make the decision about whether or not you're going to level up and what opportunities you're going to get. So you really want to make sure that you build that relationship. And when I say managing up, it's not about you telling your manager what to do. That's not the idea, but it's about building a relationship where your work actually creates value for them. And it starts, at least for me, this is my favorite approach, by getting to know them as people. Forget for a minute that they're your manager and get to know them as humans. What do they care about? Do they have a family? What are their hobbies? When you get to know someone on a personal level, it's going to be so much easier for you to relate, to empathize, and at the end of the day, to support them when they need you the most. You also want to understand what their goals are from a professional perspective, not just in terms of what they want to achieve in their career. Maybe they want to grow as well, but what is their mandate? What, is their, what are their KPIs, right? How can they be successful at the company? Because if you know what's going to make your manager successful, you can make sure that you tie your work to their success. And when you do that, that's how you essentially manage up because you make sure that your work has an impact on them. And if you can make your manager look better, that's how... And again, this is not about sucking up. This is about business results. But if you can make your manager feel good, that they can trust you, that you do really good work and that your work is meaningful, that's how you're going to build really strong relationships. And you're going to have your manager as an advocate. They're going to go to bat for you. They will find you great opportunities. They will recommend you for opportunities. And eventually they will promote you. Fantastic advice. So two final for C questions, Maya. And these are questions I try to ask all of my guests. The first one is if you would please share a time in your professional life when you struggled, maybe you even failed. And the most important part of the story is how you persevered, how you showed resilience, and if there was a lesson that you learned in the process. And I don't want you to use this example if you prefer to use a different one, but you do share a story in your book about what happened at Kolu when you were VP of marketing and crossed a wire with the VP of design, but 
please use whatever example you think best fits. Yeah, that was an interesting one. I actually have a different story in mind. And I'm actually not going to name names, but at some point in my career, I joined a company, loved the team that I was working for. I loved the work that I was doing. But about a year into the role, there were some internal changes at Reorg. The person I was reporting to was no longer there. They were let go. And I had to report directly to the CEO. And that did not go well. Now, I'm an overachiever. I've always had like straight A's. I make sure that my work is the best work. And suddenly I was working with someone who kept telling me that it's not good enough. It's not what they wanted. Micromanaged every aspect of my work to the point. I one day found myself in the CEO's office for four hours going over copy for ads while he was picking up phone calls, getting lunch, and basically trying to teach me how to do marketing. Now, I understood, you know, this is a new relationship. Maybe we need to work on it, right? I don't usually give up very quickly. So about for about six months, I kept going. I tried to do more. I tried to kind of align my work with what his expectations were. But after six months of doing that and just not getting any new feedback, I realized it's probably not me. And this is not the right environment for me. And I'm not going to grow with this company. So even though I loved it, I made the decision that it was time for me to leave. And I started looking for a different role and I got myself in a better place. But it was not an ideal experience to go to work every day and feel scared that I'm going to screw up again, that you know I'm going to get that negative feedback again. And I was in constant fear that I'm not good enough. But that was just a reflection of what this person thought, not a real reflection of my work. But it took me a while to figure it out. And when I did, I made the decision to put myself first and my mental health first and find a different place for me. So what do you think the lesson is for our young listeners? Because I have to say, as you're talking, I'm having a little um, emotions are coming up because I also reported to somebody like that who this was, I think, my second job after having been a journalist. And this person would want to scrutinize the email pitches that I was sending to other journalists. It was like, are you kidding me? I've been a journalist for 20 years. I know exactly how to write pitches. And I really suffered through kind of gritting my teeth and moving forward with trying to please somebody who could not be pleased because this person was just a quintessential micromanager. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Don't remind me about emails. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll tell you this. I've had experiences with micromanagers before but they did not end the same way. So I think it's important to understand where it's coming from, okay? Some people will not change and some people are just insecure. I've, I've had a manager who found it very hard to let go because she didn't believe anyone would do the work the way that she did. So with her, it wasn't about getting myself out of that environment. It was about working in a, in a way that gave her more confidence and trust in my ability. So I over-communicated. I brainstormed everything with her. I kind of slowly built that trust. And a couple of months later, I was able to just do my work and we had a much better relationship. So sometimes it is possible to, to kind of fix that situation when someone is open to having those conversations. This is why I didn't quit immediately. I gave it the six months. I wanted to see if I can change the situation. But when I realized I couldn't, when I realized, by the way, it wasn't just me, other people were going through the same thing. I just knew that I'm not going to solve this problem. This is not something that I can personally fix. And it's my responsibility to get myself out of a bad situation. And I didn't quit overnight. I still had to pay rent. So it took a couple of months for me to find my next role. But I had to do it for my own peace of mind. Yes. I think that's such a great takeaway. Look for another job after you've given it that extra something to see if maybe it can be fixed. And if not, get out of the toxic work environment because your mental health and honestly, your future professional success depends on that. 
Final question, Maya. If you could go back to college, go back to the College of Management and Academic Studies and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, my gosh. My experience was a little bit different than other people's because I worked full time while doing my bachelor's and my MBA. But for anyone who is just getting started with school, I will, I will say hands-on experience is the most important thing that you can do, whether it's volunteering, whether it's creating your own projects, find opportunities to do the work. Learning is great, but it will only get you so far. If I was starting all over again, th- that is what I would do. I would probably go and look for startups, early stage startups. And I would pitch myself as an intern and do free work for as long as it takes while I'm still in school to get hands-on experience. Because what will happen is when you have that and then you start looking for your first job, a lot of doors are going to open for you because you'll know the language and the jargon and you'll be so much more engaged with everything that's going on in the industry that people will immediately notice that you're kind of one step ahead of someone who just graduated. Oh, what incredible advice. Maya is the author of Invaluable, Master the 10 Skills You Need to Skyrocket Your Career. Make sure to give Maya a follow on LinkedIn. Maya, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me, and the T4C community. This was fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.